You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Hey, Kent Hunter here, the Church Doctor, or one of the Church Doctors, from Church Doctor Ministries. I got a great, great episode to share with you. It's about the rise and fall of your church with a whole lot of resurrection thoughts. As you look at the landscape across our country and many countries where Christianity has been around for a while, you don't have to be a church doctor or a rocket scientist to figure out that many churches are declining. And during the COVID years, when many people watched from their television sets at home and with moments of renewal and ideas that COVID might be over. Some people came back to church, but for many churches, most churches, there are still a lot of missing bodies. When you look at the news, you look at our country, you look at what happens every day, and you know two things. We are losing the war. We are failing as Christians to touch the lives of people who desperately need what God has given to us. I want to share with you the life cycle of faith. You know, this is not the first time in history that Christianity has flourished and then waned. From your New Testament, in your Bible, you can see how Christianity spread in the first years after the resurrection of Jesus, all the way to Rome. Throughout the Mediterranean world, there were little enclaves of churches, people on fire for Jesus. These people had their own pandemic, except this one was all about faith, all about eternity, all about better life. And uh, as time went on, that Mediterranean world started to wane. And now in many places where Christianity flourished in the early centuries, you'd be hard-pressed to find an active, exciting church going further into Europe where you can visit wonderful, beautiful cathedrals that are just awesome to see. Oh, man, they're fantastic. I love visiting those cathedrals. You don't have to be a church doctor to realize that at some time in history, those people were really hummed about Christianity. They wouldn't have gone to all that work without the machinery we have today to build that kind of stuff. It was just, it's just unbelievable. It's mind-boggling how much they loved God, how much they were flourishing in their faith, how many people they were reaching for Jesus. It's amazing. Yet today, they're tourist attractions, and you probably know that. Where Christianity once flourished, once grew like wildfire, even 
reignited by the Reformation today is just a minor issue among all the, quote, important things of life for most Europeans. Which brings us to North America, where Christianity has had times of flourishing. Remember that guy by the name of Billy Graham? Yeah. Remember the stadiums? Remember all the excitement? Remember when it was the thing to go to church? Maybe you grew up in that era. Or maybe your parents or your grandparents can remember it and tell you about it. Looking around today, oh, there are a few churches. By percentage, a very small percentage of churches that are growing. Particularly, there's a small percentage of churches that are reaching unchurched people. There are quite a few churches that are pretty big, pretty exciting, that are flourishing because they've collected Christians from churches that have somehow fallen apart, slowly declined, or died of natural deaths of those who are members who never got the next generation engaged. It's a common scene in North America which raises this issue of the life cycle of faith. It seems like throughout history there is a cycle where Christianity flourishes and then maybe one or two or maybe ten generations later it begins to wane and then it declines. And then there's no longer that impact on the majority of the population and the nation is not what it used to be. What happens? I got to believe that at some time in your thinking, sometime in your daydreaming, somewhere in your thoughts, you you had to wonder what what has gone wrong? Where are the issues? What are the issues? What's it all about? Well, as church doctors, we've spent decades with hundreds, actually thousands of churches where we've worked very intensely with those people. We've interviewed tens of thousands of people. We've written some books. We've done hundreds of workshops. We've also done a lot of conferences around the world on every continent but Antarctica. When they build a church there, we'll go and do a conference. But when you think about this, and you're around so many people, and, and you just have this insatiable appetite to figure out what the heck is going on here. God, where are you? What's happening? How can it be like this? And when you live with that day and night, like we do at Church Doctor Ministries, um... Sooner or later, you come up with some ideas. As you read Scripture, as you pray, as God reveals what's going on, as you diagnose church after church after church, you begin to see some patterns. And one of those patterns, and note this, write it down. It's so easy for a local church, maybe your church, maybe you, to move from movement to organization. 
Now, wherever two or three people are gathered together and they're on some kind of a program or mission, you're an organization. But when organization becomes the snapshot, the definition of a church, it is counterproductive to what it means to be a movement. And that's just the beginning. On top of that, the more you get into the organization, the more organized you get, the more organized you have to be, the more careful you are that nobody makes a mistake and only certain people are in charge, something else creeps in. It's called the rise of bureaucracy. And this is a killer. It can be known as political gridlock. And it's seen in a lot of churches where seeking God's will and praying for answers and reading the scripture for direction has turned into meetings and votes and Robert's Rules of Order. And if you think it's bad in churches, you got to look at denominations. It's just horrible. And it's not biblical. And worst of all, it's not helpful. It deters the exciting growth, the spontaneous expansion of Christianity. No offense to bureaucrats, whether they be at denominational levels or the local church. But come on, man, take a look at the Bible. Look at how Jesus operated. Look at how Paul operated. Look anywhere in the world where Christianity is growing. Look at Africa. Look at Asia, places in Asia and South America, where you've got great movements of Christianity, and you don't have heavy-handed bureaucrats. You have people that are equipped to do ministry. It's a whole different scenario. So not only drift from movement to organization, not only the rise of bureaucracy and political gridlock, but also the subtle and central issue of moving from mission to maintenance. Oh, it, it, it's so easy. I mean, a church is effective, or maybe even you call it successful, at reaching people, whether they're lapsed Christians, new Christians, baby Christians, whatever growth that you experience, and maybe all of that together. But as you get larger, the big goal is to get larger, first of all, or it seems that way, or we let it happen. We add programs, and then we add all kinds of activities, and then every Tom, Dick, and Harry in the church wants to say, hey, I think we should do this, I think we ought to do that, oh, it's fun to do this, it's a good thing to do that, and pretty soon you're overloaded, and so you add staff. And the staff means well, but instead of discipling people to do ministry, the staff does ministry for people. And then somebody came along and invented this curse called volunteers, which is not in the Bible. Nobody's a volunteer for Jesus. Everybody's a missionary for Jesus. But no, we've got them everywhere, and that's part of the drift from mission to maintenance. We let these people do the mundane things that 
aren't necessarily important and not spiritual or whatever, and we don't equip them to disciple other people or multiply themselves in their faith. And so we end with staff-led churches. But when all is said and done, is there much energy for outreach? Not really. Not among the multitude of people that are in the church. The pastor might have the passion. Some of the staff might. Although most of them are just trying to do maintenance of this growing entity called church. And so the church flounders. What's the issue behind the issue? Well, in the dynamic of the Christian movement, the issue behind the issue is very subtly, (laughs) the enemy is subtle, and it is the enemy. We move from multiplication to addition. What did Jesus call it? Something about making disciples. You know, I will never, ever forget one of the many, many conferences I've done throughout Africa for pastors. Had a big conference near Nairobi, Kenya, about, oh, 50 miles maybe north of Nairobi. At a big site, big church, fantastic pastor. And um, these these pastors came from a dozen different countries in northeastern Africa. Big deal to travel when you're a pastor on a pastor's salary in Africa and travel to a conference for a week. Really big deal. We had, oh, I don't know, maybe a dozen, maybe 15 American pastors that helped teach. I was one of the plenary speakers for that conference. And what really caught my attention was we had a translator, of course. And so we would speak a line, and the translator would then repeat that line in a language that many of the people there knew. And in the back of the room, there were some other translators who would then translate that to one of the languages of another country. And there were several of those. But I was looking at the main translator for those of us who had come there from the U.S. to lead this conference. And I saw the translator, the interpreter, and then I noticed that he had someone he would work with whenever they were just starting the teaching and when they were just ending the teaching. And then I noticed that that guy had someone that he was discipling, nurturing, and then that guy had another person that he was discipling, and finally that guy had another person who was, I don't know, maybe 15 years old, just a kid. And I asked the leader of that conference, the local pastor there, this brilliant guy, I said, What's going on with these people? And even with one section of my teaching, the main guy had the second guy do the interpreting. 
And what I learned when I asked the senior guy, the guy in charge of this whole thing, he said, yeah, each one is discipling another who's discipling another right on down the chain. All these people were being discipled during this conference, right down to the kid. And I said to the leader, you know, that kind of reminds me of Jesus and the disciples and the movement of Christianity. So when's the last time you saw a pastor who discipling someone else to preach? Have you ever been in a hospital and had a pastor come visit you and he was discipling someone to do hospital visits? Have you ever gone to visit to a home to share the good news of Jesus with somebody and had someone that was training you was training someone else? Or did you ever go and train somebody else? Or have you seen a Sunday school teacher or a potential Sunday school teacher that was asked to be a Sunday school teacher and given the materials and given a room and said, go teach? Or have you seen every Sunday school teacher in the Sunday school program who has someone, while they're teaching Sunday school, they're discipling to multiply themselves to someone else that teaches Sunday school? And, of course, obviously, that was a person who had the gift, the spiritual gift of teaching. That Kenya conference blew my mind. And I thought, I don't see this. In all the churches we consult in our country, I don't see this. Discipling. And it's the core element of the movement of Christianity, the multiplication of Christianity. Now, as you think about all these spiritual things, think about how God prepares the bigger picture, the environment. And think about the environment all over our world right now. I mean, there's a lot of disruption in our world. There are riots, murders. I mean, more than anybody can remember. Political gridlock, drug overdose, drug abuse. What in the world is going on? Well, among many things that would be the answer to that question is the answer, God is getting our attention. I mean, come on, you talk to anybody, and they're just like, where are we going? What are we doing? What's going to happen? We're just falling apart at the seams. Well, instead of being just destroyed by that kind of a concept, think about what is God doing through that? Is he getting our attention? More specifically, has he got your attention? We can't go on this way. And the church, you as a Christian, have the answer. I don't want to be oversimplifying the deal, but come on. Faith makes a difference in your life or you wouldn't be listening. So in this podcast, we talk about this cycle. We talk about reality today. Now, let me talk about the cycle of receptivity. Because there comes a time when things get bad enough 
that God gets people's attention. I don't just mean people in church. I mean people that are far from God. But they see things going on in their world. They have things that happen to them that God gets their attention. They realize this doesn't work. This isn't the way for a future of humankind. And so God gets the attention, not of everybody right away. There are what they call early adopters, and then there are middle adopters, and then there are late adopters, but God gets attention sooner or later of lots of people. Now, for the last 20 years, not counting the COVID years, we've been taking people to England to visit a handful of churches there that are part of a bigger group of, I don't know, maybe 200, 250 churches. And why would we take people there? Well, it's easier to see an exciting church there and relate it to North America than it is to go to Africa and try to relate a church there because the culture in many places is so different. And so in England, they are kind of like the people in North America in many ways. And so it's easier to sort of catch and understand and apply some of the issues that we see in these churches. But these churches in England that we go to are absolutely on fire and totally opposite of all those empty cathedrals and churches that are going nowhere in England. So these people are part of a movement that is just catching on. And when you see wall-to-wall young people and old people on fire for Jesus and in mission for Jesus and trained to make disciples who make disciples, even if you're there for just 12 days, like we only go 12 days, but man, people come home and say, wow, this could happen here. This could happen in my church. And so we take people so that they can see that and feel that. And and there are other movements in major different cultures in Africa and in Asia and many places where there are movements of Christianity because there's a cycle of receptivity, because people have been pushed to the wall with their discomfort, and and they and they want something, but they want is God. And there are people in, among the Christians that understand that and understand what Jesus did to disciple the disciples and what the Bible says to equip people for mission. Not just people that are professional missionaries, but everybody who is a missionary. As Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I send you. That word send in Latin is the word missio, which is the word mission. And if you're sent by God, you're a missionary. And it doesn't matter if you're sent across the, if you're sent across the street in your neighborhood to talk to your neighbor. You're a missionary. But you need to be equipped. And what is a challenge is that many pastors have never been equipped to be a missionary. I'm one of them. Went all the way through school, college, seminary, 
graduate school, Ph.D. in theology. And until I went back to graduate school in another place and was trained as a missionary, I had no clue about what it meant to be a missionary. I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. I mean no offense, but it was, it, it's what happened. Many times in the cycle of receptivity, there is a time of challenge that get, God gets people's attention. Think about the fact that Jesus was born in Israel. Well, that was predicted in the Old Testament. So it was no surprise when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Israel. That the Jews knew was coming someday. But think about when, the time of history. You know, God can pick any time in history. And that's part of what it means to be God. And so why would God pick a time when Israel had been conquered by the hated nasty, ugly Romans in the eyes of the Jews, the pagans. These Romans were walking their streets, and these soldiers were not nice people. And they were taxing the people and sending their hard-earned money to the pagan emperor in Rome, who had a pretty nasty lifestyle along with many other people in that ancient city. And so how did that feel for the people of Israel who called this the promised land, promised by none other than God himself? What's up with that, that it's taken over by the Romans? That's part of what happens in the cycle of receptivity. People are more receptive when life is going sideways. They're more open to what we might call good news, <laughs> the gospel, good news, love, salvation, resurrection, healing. Think about it. Is the country ready? Oh, you better believe it. And so that leads us to the power of purpose. Another way to talk about purpose is mission. It's a recasting of what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a church, that we are people on mission. It's all about not how we are fed alone, you know, how we're fed with the gospel and fed with, fed, fed with great news and the good news of Jesus and how to get along in life and all the benefits that come with being a Christian. It's more than that. It's about the miracle of multiplication because that same New Testament calls us the priesthood of all believers. Everybody who's a Christian is a priest, a minister, a missionary, and we all know people who need to hear the good news. We're just not equipped to do it because pastors aren't trained in mission. They can't train us in mission, and so there the devil has a perfect plan. But the power of purpose is the power of mission. And the power of mission is the miracle of multiplication. And the miracle of multiplication 
is the resurrection of revival. Whether you're used to that word or not, or you think that's some Southern Baptist term or whatever, trust me, revival means to revive Christians to their mission. It's the revival of people, and it's the revival of your church. And it can happen. We've worked with churches and seen it happen. Part of that is the recognition that the mission field is in a lot of places around the world, but the mission field is also in your backyard. Your personal mission field are the people who are not Christians, not practicing Christians, that are in your social network, where you look at your friends, your relatives, people where you work or go to school, your neighbors. That's your social network. People you already know, not strangers, not not knocking on doors and interrupting people's dinner that are strangers. No. No, the people you already know, the people you have on your cell phone, that's your social network, and that's your personal mission field. Now, if you're trained to be a missionary to those people, which is not a big deal, it can happen. You can do it. Anybody can do it. Anybody can learn this. Then we're going to see a change in the land, one person at a time. You're going to see the mission field in your backyard. And so for, I don't know, probably 20 years now, maybe more, we at Church Doctrine Ministries have been developing what we call the SEN movement. It's been revised I don't know how many times, and finally it's where we want it. And the SEN movement is training to be a missionary. It's what missionaries would learn if they went to mission school, if they were going to be sent from the U.S. or someplace, their home country, to another place across the seas, except you don't have to go anywhere, just in your own social network. But you could be trained to be a missionary. Your staff could be trained. Your pastor could be trained to be a missionary. In fact, the stuff you learn, which is right out of Scripture, is pretty exciting. It's what missionaries get trained in, and it's kind of fun. It's empowering for Christians to learn to be a missionary. It's not a full-time job. It's just what you do in your everyday life. And we call that the Send Movement. And we've developed this teaching. We put it on video, and uh, church people learn it. You see, the enemy's perfect plan, the devil's perfect plan, is to convince you that the mission field is over there somewhere far away. Or that mission is just restricted to feeding the hungry or helping the poor who someday die and go to hell because nobody told them about Jesus. No. That's the enemy's plan, not God's. So I want you to ask yourself the question, who do you know that's a missionary? And don't tell me somebody you met who's a pastor who or somebody like that who went to mission school and is now serving in some other country and some other continent or whatever. They're missionaries, all right. But when you're asked who's a missionary, I want you to look into the mirror. And I mean this seriously. I mean, go to the mirror. When you're finished with this, look in the mirror and say, according to Jesus, 
I am a missionary. Because mission means to be sent. And Jesus said to every last person who wants to follow him, as the Father sent me, I send you. And that word send means you're a missionary. And when Jesus says, go make disciples, he's talking to you. He's not just talking to staff. He's not just talking to pastors. He's talking to you. And if he's talking to you, then get trained. Get sent. Get on the mission. It is not as scary as people would lead you to believe. It's not as scary as the enemy would lead you to believe. Think about getting the send movement at your church and provide missionary principles for everyday Christians. But don't think about this as some big splash program. Not at all. In fact, it's not a program. It's not a church program. It's not a flash-in-the-pan program. Start small. If you have 6 to 12 people in your church who would be moved to consider being taught mission principles that anybody can learn, start with them. Jesus started with 12, and they started a movement. So if you have 5 to 10 people who would learn and practice missionary principles, Take a look at the Sen movement. You just might be looking at the beginning of a resurrection of your church. Pray with me, will you? Lord, there's never been a time like this. We're at the brink. Lord, we look to you. Not just for the comfort and the peace and the forgiveness and all the goodness you have for us, although we're thankful for that. But also, Lord, that you would move us to be people that you send, not to strangers, maybe not to faraway Africa or whatever, but to the people we already know who are not practicing Christians, that we would be open enough to learn. Lord, give us that passion. In fact, Lord, fire that passion so much that we just can't wait to learn what basically is scriptural teaching on how to reach others. And then just teach us to be ourselves with others. That is ourselves with you in us. You with that passion, Jesus, that other people know you. Lord, we're not asking to learn an outline or a canned approach or how to preach or anything like that. Lord, we just want you to teach us basic elements of all that stuff that's in the Scripture summarized into some simple teachings to make us effective, to change the eternal destiny of people in our own social networks. Lord, that's my prayer for anyone who will listen. And all God's people said, Amen. So it should be done. Amen. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. 
check out Kent Hunter's new book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master, available at Amazon.com.